0: morning. This doesn't work out so well when I am teaching class because I get to talking and fellowshipping and then the preacher keeps going so long as biting into to class time. So um, I am teaching what's that? I'm gonna have to talk to the preacher. Yes, I am. And um, I appreciate all of the wise cracks people have made about my fall that I had last night. It's good to know. I've been told uh, have a night that I've had a nice fall and all of those uh, dad jokes that people have. So nice trip. I just heard that one. So, um, of course, Ben is out of town again in a gospel meeting, and he asked if I would take this class dealing with First Timothy chapter three and the qualifications of elders. And so we started that. We might take one more week if Ben will allow me that. 1 uh, Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1 says, This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop is an elder. We talked very briefly about the term desire. I oftentimes hear people list this as a qualification. I don't think it's a qualification, I think it is a clarification because many men. Don't really desire it. There are many things about being an elder that are not desirable, just like Jesus did not desire to go to the cross, but He did it because it was needed and He loved us. Many men serve as elders for that reason, but um, there are a lot of things that are not desirable about being an elder. I also believe that because after saying, if you desire, He says, an elder then must be blameless. So it is as if to say, if you desire to be an elder, that's good. Now, here are the qualifications. We talked about the word blameless. Literally, it means that which cannot be laid hold of. It means no charge of accusation can be uh, levied against this man. And we understand why. First Peter 5 and verse 3 says, they must be examples to the flock. Then, he must be the husband of one wife. That tells us only men can be elders, and they must be married men. Thirdly, he must be uh, vigilant. Vigilant, the New King James says temperate. The ESV says self-controlled. I'm thinking about very soon doing a sermon on discipline, according to the Bible, and that is self-control and temperance, because I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon on that, but the Bible says a lot about it. And an elder has to be one who is disciplined. He is self control He has control of his emotions. This same word is sometimes translated as sober. It means it's the opposite of a person who's under the influence of alcohol. That person doesn't think clearly and they are not under control. Next is the actual word sober. It means sensible, serious-minded. It is a person who controls their intellect, a person who, is, um, who loses his temper, who loses his control, who has fits of rage, is not fit to be an elder. A person could actually lose this qualification because of the effects of age on his mind. And so he could still be a good man, But age could cause him to lose this qualification. It's something that we always have to watch. Next, of good behavior. A good um, translation of this literally could be that he is a gentleman. He is not rude. He's not crude. He behaves himself appropriately. He's not going to tell um, distasteful jokes. Next, he is given to hospitality. Titus 1 and verse 8 says he's a lover of hospitality. This comes from two Greek words that uh, the first one is friendly, the second one is strangers. It literally means he's a lover of strangers. And we can appreciate why an elder needs to have this. Next, he must be a teacher. The King James says that he is apt to teach. And Titus says that he must be able to stop the mouths of the false teachers. And so, he has to be able to teach at least to the degree that he can stop false teachers who would hurt the church. I actually, I have had two or three calls this week from people in different congregations, even different states, about the issue of elders and the installation of elders. One congregation just split because they were installing elders. Oftentimes, it causes a great deal of turmoil. The other, because they have put some men's names up to be elders, and some folks have objected, and one of the objections related to being apt to teach. We talked about this last week, being apt to teach. Sometimes people say, well, that word means able. It doesn't mean that he actually does it. It just means that he is able to do it. I have always said, how do you know that a man is able if he doesn't do it? It would be like me saying, my son is a great woodworker. Oh, really? Can we see some of his work? Well, he doesn't do any. I just know that he, he would be a great woodworker. It doesn't. The only way you know it is if he does it. In fact, the word literally means able and skillful. And so the person who is qualified to be an elder is a person who teaches. Then next is not given to wine. The ESV says a drunkard. Uh, The idea is this man does not drink alcoholic beverages. Can you imagine a man being an example to the flock and being sober-minded and all of these other things if he is a person who drinks? A person who drinks alcohol cannot serve as an elder. Next, not a striker or a brawler. The New King James says he's not violent but gentle. I actually had to go back and change because uh, that's one of the other qualifications. I had, to, instead of gentle, I noticed that I mistyped it, and it said that he must be a Gentile. Um, well, I guess most of us are, but, but that's not the word. He can't be violent, and he has to be a Gentile. Um, he's not a quarrelsome man. Titus chapter 1 says he must not be soon angry. What does that mean? He's not somebody who loses his temper. If you see a person who just, he's a hothead, he's not qualified to be an elder. If that's how people think of him, as a hothead, he cannot be an elder. We're describing a person who is not difficult, he's not contentious, he's not ornery, he doesn't have a short fuse. And you know, this actually applies to all Christians, doesn't it? James chapter 1 and verse 19, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, slow to wrath. This applies to all Christians, but what he's saying is all Christians should have this. If a man doesn't, he can't be an elder. Proverbs 14, 27 says, He that is soon angry deals foolishly. Verse 29, He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding. He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding. You can see why an elder would need that. Proverbs 15 and verse 18 points out that the one who is slow to anger appeases strife. What does that mean? A soft answer turns away wrath. A person who doesn't lose his temper, he can appease strife. So when a fight starts, if you're going to just blow up, that's going to add to it. But if you're a person who is calm in your disposition then you can actually help quell it. You know, oftentimes, young men, think about your men, think about yourself. When you're in your late teens, and your early 20s, a lot of times, young men have a quick fuse. A lot of times, young men do things that are foolish, but oftentimes, as they get older, they mellow. And an elder, in the word elder, carries with it the idea that he is older. And maybe that's part of... I know I certainly had a short fuse when I was a young man, and I really don't anymore. I look back and I see that that has changed in part because I've worked on it very diligently, and that's what you do as a Christian. You work on developing these characteristics. I could give you some examples of my short fuse, but I'd be too humiliated to do it. But um, we live in an age of road rage, and that was one of my problems. People fly off the handle. In fact, if you want to test this characteristic, you get out and sit in traffic for about an hour, and you'll find out about this. And I would say this, this doesn't necessarily relate to elders, but, you know, we are teaching our sons and our daughters how to behave themselves by our actions. You know, if you are in traffic, and you are flying off the handle, and you are shaking your fist, or you're saying things that are inappropriate, we shouldn't be surprised when we see our children do that because we have taught them what to do. And so uh, we need to ask ourselves, especially with reference to elders. Elders have to have this characteristic. All right, next, an elder is not to be covetous. He's the, the King James says he's not to be greedy of filthy lucre. Is that the way we would say it? Anyone in here have any filthy lucre? What does that mean? Ill-gotten gain. This is a person who is going to take money any way he can get money. The New King James just says he's not greedy for money. Paul is telling us here that a man who has an unhealthy desire for material possessions can't be an elder. The words not covetous in this verse are from um, a Greek phrase that literally means he's not fond of silver. It means he doesn't love things. Not just money, but he doesn't love his material possessions. A man who loves his stuff is not fit to be an elder. Luke 12 and verse 15, Jesus said, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life does not consist of the abundance of the things which he possesses. In other words, Jesus said, this is not what life is all about. And if a man loves his money, if he is greedy for money... It could be that he works so much at his job because he wants money, not because he has to, but he's trying to climb the ladder. He wants that promotion. He's thinking about that money. Then that man is not of the right disposition to be an elder. Next is the word patient. Yeah, gentle. That's where I changed it because it did say Gentile there, but I, I did correct that. The New King James, instead of saying patient, says gentle. This particular Greek word occurs five times in the New Testament. Only here is it translated as patient. It's translated as gentle in Titus 3, James 3, and 1 Peter chapter 2. In Philippians 4, 5, it's translated as moderation. Are you seeing a trend in some of these words? Think about the mindset. An elder is of sound mind. He's a calm person. He doesn't lose his temper. He is a person who uh, is gentle, he's patient, the opposite of one who is a fighter and a brawler. He's the opposite of of the characteristic of a person who's been drinking alcohol. He's self-controlled, he's seemly, he's equitable, fair, mild, gentle. You can see all of these things carry with it the idea of a man who has control of himself and his emotions. You can see why if you're going to serve as an elder, you've got to be that way. If you've got somebody who's a center of trouble, a person who is always picking a fight, there's always something swirling around this person, probably not uh, uh, an elder. Uh, He's not elder material. Next, he is one who rules his own house well. Verse 4 says, one who rules his house well, having his children in subjection with all gravity... Now, this next part's important, verse 5, for if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Now, Titus has a statement that is similar, but it's a little different. Titus 1 and verse 6 says it this way, an elder must have faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. I want to read you this verse from another version. It says, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. That's well said. That's uh, a better translation, I think. There is more controversy over these two statements than anything else in the list of qualifications of elders. So, let me start addressing a few of these, and when you get into the controversies, that's where um, sometimes you take a lot of time. First... Do these verses teach that an elder must have a plurality of children? Or, well, in fact, let me hit another question first before I get to that one. Do these verses teach that an elder must have children, or are they designed to just say, if he has children, this is what they must be like? You understand the question? All right. First, the indication is he must have children. That's what it says. How do I know that? Verse 5 discusses the ruling of his children as a gauge as to whether he would be able to take care of the house of God. If he doesn't have children, you don't have that gauge. This is part of the metric whereby you are seeing if this man is qualified. In addition to that, though, it is stated in the text that... uh, uh, It isn't stated in the text, but a man who has children... Just think about this. If a man has children he can understand and he can sympathize with people who are experiencing certain difficulties rearing their children. Imagine being an example to the flock, but you don't have any children. Imagine counseling with people and working with people who are having problems with their children, but you don't have children. Brother Bobby Duncan wrote this years ago. He said, We all know that those with the most expertise in rearing children are those who have no children. It is easy to criticize others and say what one's children would be when one doesn't have children. You know, I can think about when I first started preaching, and we had, when I first started preaching, we had one daughter, Macy, she was two months old. And there were things that I preached and I taught. I still preach the same things because the Bible hasn't changed. But I'll tell you something, the way I view and think about children and the rearing of children is very different. Now that I've got three children who are grown and out of the house and have grandchildren, why? Because I've had a lot of experiences along the way that have affected my thinking. I have also seen you can raise three children in the same house in the same way, and you know what happens? They are totally different and you think, how is this one this way, and this one is exactly the opposite of that, it's hard to understand those things. But it gives you perspective that you didn't have before. You can understand why God would give this qualification. Secondly, the question is, must a man have, first, he must have children. Second question is, must it be a plurality of children, or is one child sufficient? Folks, I've seen I've seen people get ugly about this issue. They will argue the text says children. That means plurality of children. The world, the word is plural. In fact, one of the people who called me this week, they were having a. Uh, this was one of the issues that people were fighting over. It was a person, I guess, who had one child, and the the um, objector was saying, "No, the word says children." You know, we use the word children generically, don't we? If I were to say, everyone that has children, please raise your hand. If a person only had one child, would they raise their hand? Yes. We understand that the word means anyone that has offspring, one or more. More importantly, though, the Bible also uses the word generically. Can I show that? In many, many verses. In Matthew twenty-two, twenty-four. 24 there's a reference to the Leverett law of marriage. Moses said, If a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now the word children is plural in the Greek and in the English, but actuality, it has reference to a child. It means if a person doesn't have at least one child, then this is the process you are to follow. The Bible gives the word in the plural, but it is a word that is used in the generic sense. In Genesis 21 and verse 7, it says about Sarah, um, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah would have nursed children, but I have born a son for him in his old age. What does that say? She nursed children, I have born a son. She had one child, but the Bible refers to that as children. Matthew nineteen twenty-nine. And everyone that has forsaken his houses or his brethren or his sister or his father his mother or his wife or his children or land for my sake shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. So Jesus said, if a man has forsaken his children, that is, if you have even lost the love of your children because you've had to follow me, you'll inherit eternal life. What if a man only had one child? Would the Lord say, no, 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 you only have one child? You see, the point, I could give you more verses to make this point, but the point is the Bible uses the word children generically. And so, if a man has only one child, he meets the qualifications as the term is defined by the Bible. Now, sometimes people have argued this. They'll say, well, a man with only one child doesn't have as much expertise as a man that has two children. I guess that's right. But a man with two doesn't have as much expertise as a man with three. And a man with three doesn't have, and you can see the uh, fallacy of that argument. Uh, Thirdly, if you have any questions, any questions or comments? Yes, sir. All right. Um, Let's see. I've actually got that one coming up. So, um, class ends, what, eleven? Okay, we'll probably get to it. Thirdly, must an elder's children be faithful, or does the text mean that, does it mean they must be faithful Christians, or must they just be faithful to their father? Because some people have read that, and they've said, well, this just means faithful children, that just means they're obedient to their father, you know, he rules his house well, and they're not rebellious, he keeps them under control. Other people have said, no, faithful children means they must be faithful to God. I don't see any reason to believe here that it would have reference to anything other than faithfulness to Christ. Titus chapter 1 and verse 6 in the American Standard Version says this, An elder must be one... I might not get to that... Titus 1 and verse 6 of the American Standard says, An elder must be one having children that believe. And I think when you put uh, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, faithful children and children that believe together, you conclude that he's talking about being faithful to the Lord. And so I believe that he's teaching a man must have at least one child, and at least one child who is a Christian, or he is not qualified to be an elder. Well, then people will ask this, well, what if a man has four children and one is faithful and three are not? You know, we could get into all kinds of hypotheticals like that, but I like what one brother said. He said he believed his rate of success should be greater than his rate of failure. I don't believe the text is saying that all of a man's children have to be faithful if he is to be an elder. For example, if a man had ten children and nine are faithful and one is not, some people would say, well, that disqualifies him. I don't think that's right. He's got nine faithful children and one is not. He has faithful children, which is what the, the text states. Now, if he had ten children and nine are not faithful and one is, I probably have a problem with that. Why? Because the text says how he has raised his household has bearing on how he can rule the household of God. If if he has nine unfaithful and one faithful, it probably states something about him. And so I think the Lord is expecting our judgment and knowledge of the individual and his circumstances to be used here. All right. How about this next question that uh, was brought up? I almost hate to open this door before um, the bell rings, but What about after they leave the house? There is a lot of dissension, disagreement with brethren about after they leave the house. The word having here in the Greek is a present active participle of the verb to have. Now you might say, you've bored us already, why are you going into this? I'm going into this because it's debated, and we really need to dig and see what This means the thrust of the present tense in the Greek is a continuous action. We have oftentimes noted in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7 that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. That is, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. It also is a continuous action. It means it is present tense and it is continuing to take place. By the same token having faithful children, could just as easily have been translated as continues to have faithful children. So, I believe this verse would uh, be indicating that the man who is being considered for appointment to the eldership must currently have faithful children who continue to be faithful. Why? Because it's in the present tense. Literally, it says, this is a man who presently has faithful children. Now, the argument comes, the debate comes on the word household. It gets, uh, people argue, well, once they're out of his household, then he really has no control over them, and he shouldn't be responsible for them. Let me give you three thoughts. Number one, what does the word household mean? Sometimes people will say, well, household, that means they, they live in his house. And it says that he rules well his household and he's got faithful children, so that must mean living in his house. The word house in the Greek is oikos, household. Listen to this. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, and verse 8, but if any does not provide for his own, and especially those of his own household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You know what the context of that is in 1 Timothy 5? Which is the same book, just two chapters later. The word household there. He's talking about a widow. That is, if there is a widow in your family, let's say that your father dies and your, and your mother now is a widow. If you won't provide for her, you've denied the faith and you're worse than an infidel. Is she necessarily living in your house under your roof? No, not necessarily. But is she of your household? Yeah, that's the point. And so I think the word household means They're a member of your family, not just. They are under your shingles. All right, I tell you what, um, if Ben will uh, be okay with this, I'll continue next week and go through some of these more difficult questions, and I want to spend a little more time on this one to explain uh, why I believe what I do. Uh, And I don't believe it lightly. I've really gone through this in detail and studied it. So, Uh, all right, thank you very much. Appreciate it.